Good evening, folks. My name is Aaron Hall. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Wow, that sounded dead. My name is Aaron. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you so much. Just because see, this isn't a funeral home. And I'm a fan of the macabre and the gloomy, but by all means, Joe, we are alive. We get to be free today. Uh, and I tell you, I'm a recovered alcoholic. I didn't say I was cured. I know the difference uh, as a direct result of these steps and this process. I understand clearly there's a difference between living with alcoholism versus suffering from alcoholism. Do you know what I mean? Because there's been some dark days in sobriety. You know, and I didn't know that's what we were signing up for. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not the only person in here with a couple suicide attempts. I'm willing to bet. And I don't mean cries for help. I was ready to go. There hasn't been one of those days in sobriety. You know, it's amazing. You work some steps and you get, start getting honest about what's really going on within you and around you. There's been a couple days, maybe two or three, where I would have been okay with not waking up. But that's different than having a plan of just, you know, I'm out. So my sobriety date is March 11th, 2010. It's the last day I found it necessary to drink, smoke, snort, shoot up, ingest any kind of mind-altering substance. When I say sober, I mean completely. You know, I, I can't have any wiggle room because I know the way I act. Oh, I am the real deal. I will drink until I can't physically drink anymore. Do you know what I mean? Until I can't put it into my body, I will keep going. And that goes along with those. The only time I wasn't um, abusing alcohol is because other chemicals were abusing me. Fair enough. You know, so that's as much as I'll get into that. I've got a sponsor who I'm current with as of like two this afternoon. Uh, my home group is the chapter seven group at a Garden Grove. And it was made real clear to me from day one. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. We've been talking so much for so long about how we're going to change. And tomorrow I'm going to tighten up those bootstraps. I'm going to, I'm going to get a legal job. Just you wait and see, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be different and nothing changed. Nothing changed until I was complete dead inside. Uh, Matt, you were sharing that story about that cocoon. Um, and we come in here and I, my first sponsor uh, for the first seven years, and there's so many things that he left in my brain tape. And that was one of them. A caterpillar just doesn't become a butterfly. It has to die inside. And the same thing, you know, we just don't become sober. I got to do some work and it's going to get ugly and it's going to get uncomfortable and it's going to get real inconvenient. And I'm not doing the stuff because, oh, acceptance means I enjoy it. No, that doesn't mean it at all. That means I just start to acknowledge what is real, what has happened, the effect that it's having so we can come out stronger and wiser as a result of it. And I didn't know any of that stuff was gonna happen. I just, I always wanted to wake up and not wanna kill myself. Uh, I've got a sober uh, sobriety date, a sponsor. I've got a home group. I've got some wonderful people in my life who call me sponsor. Uh, and all that means is I've got some men and women in my life that we meet regularly, we talk honestly. That's it. We have these relationships. No one's greater than anybody else. You know, that guy that's got 15 days could say something that turns my, my mood around. You know, there was something I'm, I'm thank you very much for asking me to participate and thank you guys for the hosp uh, hospitality. I enjoyed that one reading. They, uh, they stopped in time about the uh, mounting emotional distresses, yeah, disturbances and, and Robbie hit on it. You know, that drive between home and work, suddenly it's been World War III and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't actually talked to anybody, right? If I don't get centered right here, right now, if I don't wake up with some kind of sense of gratitude and abundance and appreciation. You know, I give my higher power my first and my best. When I wake up, I say, thank you. And if that's the best prayer I can come up with that day, that'll do. If I can just say, thank you. Thank you for another day where I'm not hungover and I'm not dope sick. Thank you for another day. You know, I have a job. I didn't quit. I didn't get fired. They actually want me back. 
Can you believe that? Uh, I wasn't raised an alcoholic. I wasn't raised around drug addiction. I wasn't raised around that lifestyle. Um, I don't believe in war stories because you already know my story. The details may be different, but our stories are exactly the same. It's just self-destruction on every level. Self-destruction on every level. To illustrate my drinking, I'll use two stories. Uh, me being 24 years old, mind you, uh, partying like a madman. However, I am working and I'm going to school and I have these dreams and passions. I'm interning. And, you know, I have these career goals that regular people talk about. I'm keeping it together basically so you'll leave me alone because that's my MO for life. Just leave me alone. I'm doing whatever I got to do to keep you at bay. Don't show concern. How can you be? Look what I'm doing. I'm putting on those masks, whatever masks I got to wear for you to piss off. You know, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I'm 24 years old. Me and a buddy are down in Huntington closing down some bars. Uh, a friend is in Vegas and say, hey, we got a room lunch party. Out there. Absolutely. Who wouldn't? It's Saturday night. Let's go to Vegas. So at 2 a.m., we leave Huntington Beach and we set out for Vegas. We leave Huntington Beach at 2 a.m. and we're going to Las Vegas. <laughs> and when the sun comes up, we're in Mexico. That's how I drink. That's how I drink. I don't know which version of me you're going to get. It may be the fun guy who wants to have an adventure. We may take over the jukebox and eat pizza all night and have the hardest laughs in your life. Right? And there's memories that go on forever, right? These are the best times. Now you fast forward and that same friend, we were standing in my kitchen a few years later down in Orange. Things are not going so well. I can't keep that front on. I'm, everything is falling apart. Like it's just sand in my hands. We talk about music and that is something I'm still a snob about, which I try to work on. And he said something. And for the life of me, I can't remember what he said. I just remember I didn't like the way that he said it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't like the way that he said it. And this guy that I've got no problem with, been my friend for years, I pull a knife out and I'm ready to gut him like a fish. That's how I drink. You don't know which version of me you're going to get. It may be fun. It may be the greatest night of your life. It may be so unstable. You are scared for your own life. And that's not my intention because I don't want to hurt you. I just want to hurt me. But I hurt myself so bad sometimes it's going to come out and hurt you. And I can't explain it. I can't. I wasn't raised around that. I don't know why I was born that way. But something, it does something to me that it doesn't do to most people. And I have a feeling if you're sitting in this room, it does something to you too. If there's any uh, one on Zoom or uh, the podcast, if you're new, welcome back to the land of the living. And then not to sound like too much of a jerk, but I truly hope you're suffering. If you're new or if you're new again, or if you're just off the path, I truly hope you are lost, lonely, broken, and scared because we got nothing to, we can do for you. If everything's all right, why are you here? I didn't come here just because I was riding on the wings of victory. Like I, I, I didn't know what else to turn. And that's my sobriety date, March 11, 2010. I hadn't worked a legal job in years. I panhandled. I wander around the streets of Santa Ana. The highlight of my day is not losing control of my bowels. And that's as good as it's going to get, right? I'm not drinking to get drunk. I'm just drinking to get right. Do you know what I mean? I'm drinking to get right. I'm not doing all those other substances, so I'm partying. I'm just trying to stay ahead of the sickness. And that's the highlight of my day, and that's as good as it's going to get. And I get so sick in the head, that's good enough for me. Right? If you've ever had a family member look at you and cry and say, the only thing we could do to help you is pray for you. I wish I could forget that, but that's, that's forever in the brain tape. And that's love, right? That's absolute love. You feel this in this room. That's not enough. Something had to truly die inside. 
And that's the day that I asked for help. I ended up at a lovely little establishment called Red Gate downtown in Long Beach. Uh, no frills, county funded, plastic mat to flop around in. Oh, you want to bathe? Well, there's a shower kind of over there. You know, you're hungry. There's some apples, I think, over there. You know, there's no frills. I haven't been through treatment. I haven't been through rehab. I've never done the Great American Sober Living Shuffle. That's not my story. However we end up here is however we need to end up here. It doesn't matter. I just got to a point where I didn't know what to do. And I was tired. And you know, the most exhausting part of my alcoholism is trying to convince you that I'm all right. And I can't even do that anymore. I can't convince anybody I'm all right. Because even I don't believe it. And I get tired of hitting these bottoms faster than I lower my standards. And it's only getting worse and it's only getting worse. So I end up at Redgate. It's a 10-day detox. That's a long time. 10 days is a long time sober. 10 hours is a long time sober, which, by the way, I could not do at the moment. I could not stay sober for 10 hours. You're talking about 10 days, man. Like, I can't, like, smoke something. Like, you got to ease the pain. I don't understand how ugly alcoholism is until I try to stop drinking. I don't understand just how sick this thing is until I try to act not psychotic. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to hold on for dear life and not freak out. That's when I truly see how twisted it is. Because life is rough. These weird things happen like the phone ringing. You know, what are you going to do? Someone asks you these weird questions like, how are you? I don't know how to answer that. You don't want to know. You really don't want to know how many times I saw myself jumping in front of a bus today. I can't tell you the honest truth. You can't know just how dark it is and the pain never seems to go away. And I can't pinpoint where it's coming from. All I know is it only makes me better when I'm under the influence. It only gets okay. And it stopped getting better. It just makes me okay for the moment. That's a spiritual experience. It hasn't changed anything around me. It just changes my view of the world. So I am eternally grateful for alcohol and drugs and the things that they did. Because I am a firm believer if I didn't start drinking when I would have, I would have blown my brains out a long time ago. It was the medicine until the medicine backfired. So I go into Redgate, 10-day detox, okay. And that's, I can see now, in retrospect, that was my first version of a surrender. It's just that, okay, I don't know, I don't know what else to do. And I haven't been in and out of the rooms for, for years. I, did, I, got, I finally got a DUI when I was 21 and some other assaulted uh, charges because uh, I'm not the most polite to police, especially when I try to pull you over. And this attitude, this chip on my shoulder, right? I got the weight of the world on one shoulder. I got the chip on the other shoulder. Uh, so I had some other things I had to handle and they made me go to these AA meetings. And it's so funny. It was like, you know, four meetings in a month. Like, oh my God, what have they asking so much? <laughs> Barely made that. But I, I can tell you, I distinctly remember one of those first meetings, all the community service, and they just, you know, had me sit in. And a man said something that it still, def it doesn't define me today, but I relate to it today. He said, if I ever come home and the house is on fire, I could care less. But God help you if you leave a cap off the toothpaste. I still relate to that. It's going to be the little things that drive me nuts. Not the big things. I don't care about that especially if it affects you, that's not my business. But that little thing, that little thing that no one else notices, I will let it dig and burrow a hole deep in my head and it will fester and it will amplify and it will be so exaggerated over the top. And by the way, it has nothing to do with me, but I make it about me and it will drive me nuts. Absolutely drive me nuts. And in that moment when he said that, it's like, wow, I can relate to that. And if you're an alcoholic like me, to be able to re relate to somebody on that level is, is bizarre. And I don't mean the general happy, sad, sure, basic human emotions. 
when he described me as he described his behavior, it meant something. And that was that power of identifying. It planted a seed that maybe I'm not alone. Maybe I'm not so different after all. And I would love to say that was the moment I said, yes, who wants to do a fifth step with me? I can't wait to get this over with. No, no, I was 21. I got sober when I was 32. But still, some kind of seed was planted. So I'm at Redgate. It's a 10-day detox. I agree to it. That's the best I can come up with is I can't leave until they tell me I can leave because I know me. I have a pretty good feeling I know you too, right? Excellent starters, right? Passionate, creative, intelligent, all about it. 150%, you give it your all. I can't, I got so much passion and drive and 30 seconds later, over it. <laughs> over it completely. Lost all interest whatsoever. And I know, I know that about me. So I, I was in there and I saw alcoholism untreated in me, right? I'm not drinking, I'm not doing other stuff, but I'm also not praying. I'm not telling anybody about me. I'm an introvert person by nature. You know, I play my, my cards close to my chest. I don't know about you, I got some trust issues. So I don't uh, just open up to whoever, you know, especially if you say, trust me, you're done. <laughs> so I'm wallowing in my own self-pity, that morbid, uh, morbid reflection. Thank you. Um, and I'm just on day eight and I'm crying because I'm sitting on the patio and I'm just a pathetic human piece of garbage and it's my fault. And I see all the dots connecting my life. I am the only common denominator of all my pain. And I can't deny that anymore. Everything that's ever gone wrong, everything I've ever complained about, everything that everything else, drama, blah, blah, blah. I am the only common denominator of all of it. And I can't deny it anymore. And a woman, thank goodness, came in who didn't look like me or party like me or commit crimes like me. You would, if you looked at the details, we had nothing in common. But I heard her story, right? There is this black female crackhead from Compton. I'm an Irish drunken junkie punker from Garden Grove. And she was speaking my language. And she said she was lonely all the time. And I heard that. I heard that loneliness that just went deep, right? Here's all these friends. I'm not around them. I don't want to be around them. I'm not answering the phone. I'm not showing up. You got this big Irish Catholic family, right? They would have been over backwards. All I had to do was say help. I don't know about you. I chose to take my own life because I couldn't bear to stand asking for help. That's where the disease takes me. That's where my head goes with it. And I just heard her. I heard, I related to that. If I'm living the way I want to live, how come I'm so damn miserable all the time? If I'm doing what I want to do, happy people don't usually think about killing themselves a lot. And it's not doing what it used to do. The drinking just ain't fun anymore. And I'm tired. And she got to this part of her story and it was that surrender. And I know we've all made them. We've all made them throughout our lives in many different ways. Only looking back, do I see how many surrenders I've really made. And then they were sincere, man. They were absolutely from the heart. Like, get me out of this one. I mean it. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And for a half a second, I meant it. And the coast was clear. And the cops didn't pull you over. And you didn't get, you didn't get caught doing that thing you weren't supposed to be doing anyway. Right? And what happens? Well, that was close. Yeah, that was scary, man. I need a drink. And it doesn't last that long. There's many surrenders over and over and over again. And I didn't know that was faith. Even those little glimpses of faith. Let me walk you through an evening, right? It's been one of those days. Just one of those days. No one knows how to drive. Every song on the radio is garbage. Like everything is driving me nuts. People can't even stand in line right. Like it's all just driving me nuts. And you go into the store. I'm not going to start. Not going to start. Not going to start. I was a fool last night. I'm not going to start. 
something's calling to me over in the beer cooler. No, 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 it's like a soda or iced tea or something. And, you know, uh, I'm ready to shoot people five minutes ago, right? I'm just losing it. And suddenly I'm walking to the counter and I got a 40 in my hand and I'm whistling. And I know it's going to be all right. You like dive bars? I love dive bars. I like the stench. I like the stale vodka and pee. You know, I like when people are, you don't know if they're going to like start making out or fighting, you know, like one of those. And you walk in and you just take a deep breath and you know it's going to be a good night. I haven't even made it to the bar yet. I made eye contact with them. They know I'm coming, but I haven't even picked anything up yet. Right? You tell me that's not electric. It's in my system and it's not even in my system. You feel that in the air and I, I know I'm going to be okay. I know relief is coming. And you get in those parking lots, you know, those parking lots that we love and you're waiting on that guy who said he'd be there in 20 minutes and it's been two hours. Are you moving? I ain't moving. <laughs> I'm not moving at all. What happens when you see his headlights? And you know his headlights. You tell me don't breathe a little bit easier. Thank God. Right? 100 feet, 50 feet, 20 feet. You tell me that's not faith? It's absolute faith in something. Absolute faith, without a doubt. And we had it. We had it in the palm of our hands. We just turned it into something dark and toxic and twisted. At least for me, it was. It's that song. That guilty pleasure that comes on the radio and you roll up your windows because you don't want people to know that you love it so much and you turn it up just a little bit and it just puts you in a mood that was nothing like the mood you were just in and you're telling me that's not faith it just does something to you and i'm sitting on the patio of red gate detox uh just i got nothing left to throw away it's, it's sad it's pathetic it's all my fault and this woman is sharing her story and she gets to that part of her story and she said these four words and she said please god help me and I know that prayer. We've all said that prayer. I know I've said that prayer many a time. How long did it really last? How long, how much comfort did it really bring when I backed it up with zero action whatsoever? It was just, I'm treating God once again, like he's either a, a crystal ball or a wizard or a pimp. You know, this is how I'm treating the higher power. You know, give me what I want. So I'll be on my way. And it just, I believe I worked steps one, two, and three on that patio. You know, that's why it's such a special place to me. And I made it back there as many times as I could. I believe something shifted. And it wasn't, aha. It was, I believe you. I believed you believe in something. And that's all I had to go on. And that's what I took. I believe that you guys believed in something. Something was working with for, in your life without a doubt. And I don't mean everybody in AA. That's just foolish. But I know somebody had to work the steps at one point And it had to turn them around. I just believed that much. And I got a sponsor right away. And I feel very fortunate he did not tell me. Just don't drink and go to meetings. And if anyone is new or new again, if anyone is telling you to just don't drink and go to meetings, please get the hell away from them. They will poison you. How many people have died as a result of that, of doing nothing? Just show up to a meeting, stay sick, you'll be all right. Steps, eh, maybe some other time. No, we read it at most meetings, right? If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length, then you are ready to take certain steps. That's now. Because someone's coming in this room, they're dying of alcoholism now, and they need to get busy in something now. It doesn't matter if it's sticking your hand out saying, welcome, good morning, good evening, whatever, some kind of course of action. And I, I was brought up that way. And the big book that we go through, my home group, we're big believers in getting involved ASAP right now, because you're dying of alcoholism right now. And I'm not too familiar with this area, but it's not too hard a stretch to imagine someone's dying of alcoholism within a couple miles of where we're at. Fair enough. This is Southern California. 
not too hard to imagine, someone is dying from alcoholism close by, and either they have had no experience with any kind of 12-step program, which still happens. People still have no idea. They haven't heard of AA or NA or any of that stuff. More than likely, they've been in our meetings and sat next to us, and what we showed them was of absolutely no appeal whatsoever. We offered no hope because it was just don't drink and keep going to meetings. Stay sick as hell and try not to blow your brains out. This is the message that's getting portrayed. And I was not brought up that way. And I'm, if, if your sponsor is saying anything different than me, that they're right and I'm wrong. This isn't about stepping on toes. However, we stick in the big book and what they're telling us is to get involved ASAP, doing some kind of vigorous course of action. So something changes in my heart, in my body, my mind, my spirit, or else what's the point? So what I was told from day one was start praying to something and start helping someone. That was the first sponsor direction I was given. Mind you, I'm an hour out of detox. I am 10 days sober. I feel like caca. I haven't slept. Mommy and dad said I could stay over there for a bit. Like this, I got nothing going on. Did you really just tell me to go help somebody? Like you haven't been listening to anything I said. I woke up in a detox, man. And I say, use the term woke up loosely because I haven't been sleeping. He said, that's great. 10 days sober. Go find somebody with nine days. This ain't about you anymore. And it still isn't. It still isn't. You know, what I was shown was the less I think about me, the happier I will be. That's my truth. The less I think about me, the happier I am. Figure that one out. Figure that mystery out. The less I try to do for me, the more I try to give to whatever situation that we're in, the more abundance comes into my life. That makes zero sense on a logical level whatsoever. And yet, if you've been around a little bit, you know that it's true. The more I do for you, the more I get in return. The more I learn about you, the more I learn about me. You know, and I don't know if, uh, if anyone is new and they may have God issues, join the club on that. But you know, the closer I got to you, the closer I got to this God thing. The more I understood that truth was a power greater than me because I couldn't say the word God. You know, life is a sick joke and I'm the punchline. That's my version of God. But I sit down with this guy and I've got all the stuff that's written out and I take that leap of faith. I do an honest fifth step. And I mean an honest fifth step, right? You know what I mean? Those things we ain't talking about. Those hotel room visit we ain't going to talk about again. Those shitty things we did to our families, right? We're not going to talk about that because I know there's a spot in hell for me for that stuff. So I'm just going to bury that deep down inside. So I bring it all out there. And for one, he says the most comforting things that I've heard in these rooms. He said, me too. Me too. I've done that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I relate to that. And the second thing is I start to begin to trust somebody. And as much as I don't like that word G-O-D, I can't deny that there is some energy that's going on when I, I take a leap of faith and trust somebody. And I got nothing to hide and nothing to prove. You know, there's a lot of freedom that comes from believing that you believe in something and believing that in this process. Not because I know what is going on to happen on the other side, but it's got to be better than where I'm coming from. It just got to be. And we move up through that six and that seven. And what's the point of asking this higher power to remove my defects if I don't start acting like they're being removed? What's the point of making these amends if it's just about the words that I use instead of the actions that I take? Um, and I'm not going to get into the family stuff. I, I don't know how a lot of you ladies are with your moms, but I know how a lot of us guys are with our dads. You know, here's this pedestal that we put them on. Not, I think it was a subconscious thing. You know, I just, wanted him to be happy. You know, I wanted him to be proud. I wanted to not be such a little weasel. 
Uh, and that was never the case. You know, my, my mom and dad, uh, it was just me and my older brother. And all they said was, we want our boys to be happy. That was it. It wasn't, you better be a doctor. You better be a lawyer. We want our boys to be happy. I can't even get that right. So I made amends to my, mind you, I'm a two months sober, made amends to my brother and his wife during the day. Could not have gone smoother. In fact, it was fantastic. They didn't want any money. You believe that? I said, pay it forward. Just glad you're sober, whatever. Didn't even care. Like, I don't know why people are tripping out of these steps. This is easy. This is great. A couple hours later, I met up with my dad. And he made it real clear. And he laid into me for 20 minutes. He told me the truth and I need to take it because that's what I've earned. Oh, you're sober now. And you're doing the right thing. 32 years old, trying to get things together. You want a trophy? We're putting ourselves this arrogance that we have. I don't know, but I have this arrogance. Like, no, see, I'm so involved in it. Hey, no, I'm like, yeah, and you know, most of the world just does that because, because they just wake up with a conscience and whatnot, and they just want to do the right thing for, you know. And here I want a ticker tape parade. But he ended it by saying, just keep doing what you're doing because we've noticed a difference. And that's the that's the stuff you can't put into words. That's the stuff you can't measure. That value. You know, it was like John Wayne said, I could ride his horse. You know, that, that was a big deal. You know, and now because I was seeking, I wasn't seeking that approval, but it sure was nice some confirmation. But most importantly, we get into 10, 11, and 12. So by the time I got my 90-day chip, I'd worked a bunch of amends, whatever that may be. You know, sometimes it's just leaving somebody alone. You know, but like, no, I gotta, you need to take my time. I, I have to no, no, you need to leave them alone. That's what you need to do. And I was getting that stuff on paper. You know, it's this process that we start with one, two, and three, right? I am screwed, right? Something can help. So am I going to let it? Four and five, it becomes a little more clear how I've screwed up. Six and seven, I'm getting a better understanding of how the spirit can help me. And eight and nine doesn't matter unless I do something to back it up. And it becomes clearer. This is how I screwed up on 10. I'm trusting that power through prayer and meditation. Please show me what I need to do. And 12, I need to do something to back it up. And here's this humility, this prayer, this service, this process that we get into from step one, humility, prayer, service over and over again. What can I do to make it right? Who does this power want me to be? And by the time I got my 90 day chip, I was uh, doing a bunch of amends. I was working on those daily inventories, trying to as frazzled as the brain was, trying to find some kind of sense of balance and calm, even if it's sitting quietly for three minutes, that's a big deal. And I was trying my best to try to find some guys to help, you know, and since uh, an hour out of detox, I haven't gone without a sponsor. That guy, uh, Valentino, he was uh, just a solid man. There's some stuff that he just, it still comes up, you know, anything of quality starts small and stays simple. Man, that was profound. And that still comes up in my life. Anything of quality starts small and stays simple. But some of the best stuff has uh, been able to help other guys, you know, and you walk a lot of guys through a lot of stuff. And I, I would love to take credit for some of it, but I can't because I know that's the spirit putting them in my life at the right time. It's putting me in their life at the right time. And you see some wonderful people come in and they start to build a life and then they step away from it. They step away from this because they haven't learned enough pain of keeping this priority. So then you can appreciate all the other stuff. And by all means, everyone's doing what they've got to do. It's just, it breaks your heart sometimes when you see some good people come in and they didn't need to die that way. You know, they didn't need to die that way. It's rare, very rarely are, do they die good. You know, I don't know about you, but I've lost more friends than most people have. 
And it just, it breaks your heart because you hung out with them on Friday. Yeah, best day ever. Everything's golden. And then you get that call on Monday or they find them in a room somewhere. Uh, you know, uh, Jenny's uncle passed away recently and he was eight years sober. And it was one of those rare things where someone died good. They died good. And it gets emotional because their celebration of life was yesterday. Um, and it just reminds you of why we do what we do. Because the family was up there, right? The, her cousins, the four kids, one of them couldn't be there. The other three were talking and they don't know they're talking steps. They're not alcoholics. They're not in AA, but they're talking about a usefulness that he found once he got sober, the change in his heart. And it was always there, right? Can you imagine those sleepless nights your family spent wondering if they're going to hear from you again? I never thought about that until I get sober. You know, if you're new or if you're new again, maybe you're not, you want to tune me out. I get that. I, I, I tune myself out. But do you know, do you know that someone else is sleeping better because you're here? And if we forget about that perspective, someone's getting a good night's sleep because you're one less thorn in their side in this whacked out world that we live in. And I got to see the family afterward, you know, in person. There's this people. Uh, and it just, it brings up all these ghosts that I get to see in these chairs, all these good friends, all these people that we share meals with. You're there when the, the babies are born. You're there when the babies die. You're there when the marriages come together or when the divorces happen. You're there, you know, and sometimes they back away from the steps and it just breaks your heart because you want to shake them. You want to duct tape them to a chair and it doesn't work that way. You never know how God's going to use you to help somebody else. But you just say yes and you keep showing up. You just keep saying yes and you just keep showing up. You know, I got to walk my brother through cancer twice in sobriety and I am not a doctor, by the way. I'm not a therapist. There's no letters after my name, but I could sit there when he was going through chemo. I could sit there and give him some kind of comfort, even if it was just, you know, some really dark humor, you know, something to put a smile on his face, at least give his wife a break so she can get a cup of coffee. And, you know, the, the funny thing is he's anti-God. He's anti-God because of our upbringing, because of stuff that was shoved down our throat. He just, he wants nothing to do with it. And he has no idea that his kindness to me when I was fresh out of a detox, I might get well job was with my older brother. I hadn't talked to him. He wouldn't return my phone calls. The only time we had contact was when I show up unannounced at his work going, you got 40 bucks? Uh, then I'll leave you alone. <laughs> he knows I'm a drunk. He knows I'm a junkie. He knows I'm a troublemaker. He took a chance and he offered me a job in my first three years of sobriety. I was working with him. I can't let him know that that was God. That was one of those things that turned my mind around. Like, how is someone who wouldn't return my phone calls? How do they want to see me every day? That simple, kind act. Simple, kind gestures is how this power starts to come up in our life each and every day. And that's what the men and women who I got sober around, this is what they showed me. Simple, kind gestures. This is how it's going to reach. This is how it's going to affect somebody in a way that I, we can possibly know, but there's a ripple effect. Just because the damage we did, that had a ripple effect too. And it's some powerful stuff. There's something I, I love. It's on page 511. And it just sums it up better than I ever could. It's from this story called Gutter Bravado but you get a chance. It's a wonderful story. I thought it was a, a band name. I thought it'd be a great band name. Like gutter bravado sounds tough. You know, I would break some bottles to gutter bravado. And it says, so today I'm much more comfortable with life as alcoholics anonymous has promised. And I know they're right. When they say it keeps getting better. My circumstances have steadily improved as my spiritual life grows and matures. Words cannot begin to describe the feelings in my heart as I sometimes ponder how much my life has changed, how far I've come, and how much there is yet to discover. And though I'm not sure where my journey may take me next, I know I'll owe it to the grace of God and to the three words of the 12 steps, continue, improve, and practice. Oh, and one more thing they told me, humility is the key. 
like all this stuff we're doing, if you're waiting for this grand finale, if you're waiting for that trophy at the end of that, you could, but it's not going to be that way. And if you haven't started your steps and you're thinking it's going to feel like this or it's going to feel like that, that's really none of your business. You know, one moment at a time, one breath at a time, one prayer at a time. You know, and you have some good people around you who you can talk to honestly, open up to about whatever it is you're feeling, whatever is going on. And they walk you through it. You walk with you. And uh, there's words from a prophet that I, I love to end with. And by prophet, I mean Dr. Seuss, because that's where I'm at. And people like to chuckle when I say Dr. Seuss, but he breaks it all down. I mean, steps, traditions, uh, concepts, he breaks it all down. Dr. Seuss said, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Does that not fit us or not? Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever done in your life has brought you to this moment. Everything you've ever been through, everything you've ever walked through has brought you that we all get to share this moment right here, right now. All of it. This is how it makes sense. And not because it makes sense, because it's going to make sense for somebody else. I can't think of any other place on earth where you take something like us that is desperate and hopeless, and that's a winning combination. How, is that, how does that make sense? No, just out of a psych ward? Wonderful. We've got a seat for you. Oh, the government have, hasn't given you your kids back? That's okay. We relate. Come on, you know. Where else can you take all this poop from our past and turn it into gold? So if you're new, if you're just new again, I hope you get busy. I hope you stay active. I hope you don't try to make this too complicated. I hope you don't look for meeting makers making it because you're not going to find that in the book. You know, I get it. I got my commitments. I got my meetings. I got my, the fellowship I hang around. I get it. But if that's all I'm doing to stay sober, I'm not doing much. So I can't thank you guys enough for your respect and for being here. And thanks again for the invitation. Thank you, Robbie. For coming. <laughs>